What's up, y'all? It is Dave Hardy Jr., your host of Penciled In. Man, I don't even know where to begin today. My mind and heart are tired, y'all. Ah, just again, another week in which I have to constantly think about my mortality. Not because of the natural phases of aging and getting older, but the potential that there will be a time in which there's a cop that stops me and doesn't see my humanity. And for whatever reason, it just replays over and over in my head as I think about my kids, my wonderful partner, my wife, and the things that go on in this world that I still want to see and experience. But knowing that at any moment, any minute, someone else could make that choice for me. So, my heart's a little heavy today, y'all. But if there is anything that brings me energy, it's bringing conversation to you for all the positive feedback that keeps coming my way about this discussion and around this conversation. So, let's go get it. And make sure we're not always penciled in. I think my leadership story starts with uh, being a young black man that lived in two worlds. Uh, being a young black man that lived in two worlds. This out. What's up, family? This is David Hardy Jr., your host of Penciled In. It is April 15, 2021. And we have a lot to talk about today, y'all. We're going to talk about law enforcement and policing of our bodies in America today. And I can't wait to have this conversation and talk about where we can go. Let's go get it. probably only makes sense that I stay on this theme that I, I can't get away from. I just remember the time in which um, I was on my way out of the city, Manhattan, after just buying a pair of sneakers. And if you know anything about me, uh, I enjoy a good pair of sneakers and probably have way too many too uh too many on my shelves but what i used to do you know probably once a month was go into the city and um buy a pair of sneakers the night before um community circle and what community circle was at my school when i was a principal was um, a time when we brought all of our kids together to rejoice, to, to share, to learn, to grow, to be people. And every Friday we got to dress down. So Monday through Thursday we were in suits and ties and um, dressed really professionally. And then on, on Fridays, kids and teachers alike, we were able to dress down a little bit, wear your favorite college t-shirt, 
and um, kind of relax. And so for me, it was important to wear a college t-shirt that matched a pair of sneakers. So I went into the city to get my sneakers and on the way out, didn't think much out of it, heading back to Brooklyn, back to home. And I saw this small black car pull up to the left side of me. Um, completely dark, didn't think much of it, but we were sitting at an intersection, which when you go through the intersection, there's only one lane. So I didn't know where this black car was going. Um, so I just try to block it out, just try to focus on being safe and getting through the light and, and moving closer to home. But come to find out this little black car threw on some lights that were unfamiliar to me, um, and unidentifiable to me as a police car, but apparently was. And so I pulled over and, and obliged by what I thought was doing the right thing. And naturally, I've learned some things over time in which for me as a black man in America that I, I take precautions. So one thing I learned is take your keys and put them on top of your dashboard so they can see that you're not a threat to leave and um, make sure that you keep your hands on 10 and 2. And... Uh, the cop came to my window and asked me what I was doing. I, you know, kind of flabbergasted by the question. I just said I was driving home. Did I? And I asked, did I do something wrong? He then demanded that I put down all of my windows. Mind you, it's maybe 40 degrees outside. And there's three other cops now surrounding my car with flashlights in and out of my car looking for something, I guess. And he demanded my license and registration and I stuttered through something. And then a minute and a half later, he comes back. And it says, just get out of here. Throws me my license and, and registration back into my vehicle as these other three police officers are still scanning me and my car and my windows are down and I at this point am shivering and actually scared that I, I did something wrong and they just leave. I'm sitting there in the middle of the night somewhere in Manhattan just outside of Herald Square shaking having no clue what just happened and why it happened and what they were looking for i didn't know what to do but cry and i i i think there's only maybe two other times in my life where i cried so hard i was so frustrated and mad and angry and scared that I just started heaving, not realizing what just happened to me. Now fast forward to today, realize, 
unfortunately, I have to say and admit that I was lucky. Like never before in my life would I have assumed being pulled over by cops in an unmarked car demanding me to put my windows down in the middle of New York City, flashing lights in and out of my car as if I did something wrong and to count that as actually lucky. Because when I think of luck, I think of something a lot different. I think of hitting the lottery or, you know, going to a, a county fair and, you know, playing bingo or hitting down the, the pins to win a large stuff animal lucky. But this is a different type of luck that people of color, I think, unfortunately, disproportionately, overwhelmingly experience or are hopeful to experience. So as we see, we continue to see that this isn't commonplace. This, this experience that I had actually is the better of the experiences because more than likely men that look like me have been shot, killed, or I mean I just don't know how many more times I can turn on the television and see a mother crying again in front of a camera standing next to a lawyer pleading for justice for their lost child. I don't know how many more times I can turn on the television or open up my IG or see on my Twitter feed a picture of a young man that could have easily been me with rest in paradise. Justice for Dante. George, Ahmad, Rihanna. I mean, the list just continues to go on and on. And it's the same sound every day. At one point, can it change? At what point do we realize the devastation that these incidents cause in our communities, in our homes, and in our lives. And I, and I don't even know Dante. And I just had the longest day of my week knowing that I had to drive two little black boys to school. And I had to figure out how to get home safely. Or driving to my parents' house and just lost at times making sure I don't see a police officer. Or the moments in which my sons who have an appreciation and respect for people in uniform who look as if they are to protect us and serve us and them wanting to say hello and I stand there, fearful that the joys that my sons have today 
meeting and seeing people whom they should be looking up to may also be one day the people that will be looking down at them. I know that may not be fair. I know that's a loaded proposition. I know I'm saying a lot in the sense of the complexity of the situation and the challenge that sits in front of us as people, as individuals, and as individuals that are charged with a, a job in society. I know that. I get that. But I can't help to share my feelings and probably feelings of some of you who are listening. As much as you want to believe there are individuals protecting you and your well-being, as a person of color, there is that overwhelming and consistent fear or questioning if they are. So I share this story because today's conversation, what I've been able to research about law enforcement and the, the complexity of the interaction between that and how politics influences and directs the way, the system, the training of police officers so that you can see where this all started. Hopefully for us to see a better way for it to end. A better way for it to end. Let's see. Then there's this. Decided to reach out to one of my good friends who provided me some insight on um, policing and police training. He's a former officer and um, is just a tremendous person and human being who I fully believe joined the police force for all the right reasons and all the reasons that we would hope um, that people would join agency in their communities and uh, he had left he had left for many of the reasons in which we're talking about today so when I text him I uh, I just asked him some basic questions on where can I go to do some research and understand more and he provided me some insight some commentary on a few things that just really opened my eyes to uh, the history of policing there's a few things that he said to me that really stood out. One of the first things he said was that there is a huge disconnect on the cultural aspect and selection process of officers, mostly in what they're looking for, how the system is set up to continue to oppress and be a systemic, systematic disadvantage to people of color. He then went on to tell me more of places where I could do some research, which I eventually went on to do and we'll speak about in a few minutes. But he really got to me as he kept sending me more text and more information 
about the challenges of the training that police officers receive. He goes on to tell me that most of the problems is actually that they have the authority to take control and not understanding the control by force usually causes all sorts of problems and ends up becoming a use of force situation. Use of force. The other piece that really stuck out to me from his comments that were so powerful is that he talks a lot about leadership. And it's leadership that leads to inadequate, inappropriate, training. He goes on to tell me that it's that sort of leadership that causes injustice to slowly seep into the officers and that pride that causes them to abuse their authority. Leadership. He goes on to talk about the lack of cultural sensitivities and disparagement in the selection and recruitment process that intentionally look for alpha male personalities that are mainly white men who are then policing diverse communities who don't understand the challenges that come by living there. I decided to do a little homework. One of the first things that I found was an article written by Time a few years ago where it began talking about the history of the police force. And initially, policing was not a revered position. It was not a position often sought after. It was often a a position of volunteerism where people were either um, doing and conducting neighborhood watch programming or assigned to the role and in some ways was considered a punishment. And for many years, um, it was disregarded as something significant because people who were on duty because they were the watchmen often slept and drank while on duty, for example, according to the Times article. This again was years ago in the 1600s. Then we move on to the first police force. First recognized and publicly funded police force was actually found in Boston in the 1800s. This police force was recognized as its first because this was the first time taxpayers were paying for a police organization that was full-time to what they call a police force that was put in place to protect and maintain the collective good. Boston was a large shipping commercial center and business had been booming and people have been hiring more people to protect their goods and properties and safeguard the transport of their goods in and out of Boston. And the police force was there to ensure 
its safety. However, if we actually go back to the origin of police forces and do a little bit more digging, we actually find that policing and a police force was actually centered not on the protection of shipping interest, not on the neighbor, not on the neighborhood watch landscape that was later concocted and believed to be part of its truth and origin. It was actually a primary proposition, created position, created systemic, institutionalized inequity to actually preserve the slavery system. Some of the primary policing institutions that were in place were actually slave patrols tasked with chasing down runaways and preventing slave revolts. This dates back all the way to 1704. 1704. When policing was actually put in place to control black bodies. And during the Civil War, that policing, that slave patrol, was replaced by the military because they became the primary law enforcement agent in the South and were ensuring the segregation that was in place, stayed in place, and the continued disenfranchisement of freed slaves. This again is history that is little known and not often spoken to, but actually has never gone away. As we fast forward to 1965, and we think about the Law Enforcement Assistant Act that was put in by then President Johnson, you read the legislation and you start to see the tenets of what it's really about. At first glance, it talks about the importance of getting proper training for state and local law enforcement personnel and to make grants available to demonstrate ways that police force could be more informed on how to be successful, strong, effective enforcers of the law. But when you look into the legislation even deeper and see what they're actually funding and look at exactly what goes into the quote unquote new training methods that were put in place, a lot of those same training measures are no different than what we saw in 1704 in the Carolinas. So as I started to do a little bit of my homework, I started to take a look at some of the states and their training program. So I decided to go down south first. I went and researched the Alabama peace officers, as they're, they're called, which is also something new to me. I always call them police officers, but there are a number of states who actually relate uh, law enforcement as peace officers. And I, I wanted to look and see what went into their training. And so I went in and found their administrative code and, and identified their certification training requirements. From what I could see, there are a number of things that they have to complete. One of which is that the 
trainee must successfully complete the commission's approved basic training curriculum and approved academy. They must satisfactorily complete the law enforcement training course within the time set forward. They must also complete and be certified by the commission by completing the following things. Receiving no less than a 70% on written exams. Pass the first eight exam with a score of nothing less than 70%. And if they have to retake the test, they must do so within 72 hours. So I decided to look into how New York City police officers are trained. And what I find is quite interesting. And going to their website, I was able to find some statements in which they do speak about the importance of de-escalation and serving the community. And then I decided to dig a little bit deeper into their recruit training section. So when you think about the training of professionals across this country, whatever that role may be, whether it's a teacher who spends four years getting a bachelor's degree in education, then often goes off to get a master's degree, which is anywhere from another two to four years. And if they want to pursue their doctorate. That's another two to four years on top of that. Or you look at a nurse or, or a doctor who can spend eight to 10 years getting their education to be a doctor and, and specialize potentially in something. You look at folks that go into business, often spend four years to get their bachelor's in business and then probably their MBA for another two to four years. You look at all these leaders in different industries and the amount of time it takes for them to be able to do their job well. And then you compare it to what I'm finding most startling about police force training and those that are preparing to go into police force. So I wanted to look at the length of time for training of law enforcement and those that go in to be police officers to protect and serve. And program after program, I started to see a few different trends. Most entry level training programs exist anywhere from 12 to 19 weeks. 12 to 19 weeks. For people to be able to hold use, shoot a gun at will to protect and serve, quote unquote, is less than a semester in college. These might be the most alarming stats that I found. According to an article from CNN in 2016, states require more training time to become a barber than a police officer. In the state of North Carolina, police officers are required to take 620 hours of training, while a licensed barber is 1,528 hours of training. In the state of California, police officers are required to take 664 hours of training, while a licensed cosmetologist takes 1,600 hours of training. And in the state of Florida, Police officers are required 770 hours of training, while in the same Sunshine State, licensed interior designers are required to take 1,760 hours of training, nearly 1,000 additional hours 
to decorate the inside of a home over protecting one. System is designed to get the results that it sees. But the system needs to think, does it need a new design? And I'm not talking about the interior. And my call to action in this scenario is pretty simple and straightforward. And I respectfully and humbly submit this as a citizen in our country that has seen, unfortunately, the division of who we are based on the lives that are lost in circumstances that could have been avoided. So I implore us as a system, specifically in law enforcement and otherwise, to think about ways that we can examine training support, continue learning for those have the lives of so many people in their hands I could take it away with a simple pull of a trigger. How can we examine the training provided, the inequities that exist, and look at the numbers behind the numbers to see how we can change systems of inequity that too often have taken lives unnecessarily? I don't know who needs to hear this today, but over the weekend, um, my son and I had some time, just him and me. And that's pretty rare nowadays, given the, you know, in a household where we have three kids under the age of eight, my partner and I have moved on from man-to-man defense to zone coverage. However, this Sunday, she was away with our two youngest kids. So it was just me and my son. And we had some time together once again, one-on-one. We decided to talk and we played and we laughed. To be honest, even cried a little bit. More importantly, there's something he said that I will always remember. We were outside playing in the middle of the game, and he just stopped and started laughing, as any seven-year-old could when they're having fun, and said, ah, the memories. That just touched my heart because it just reminded me that when our time is done on this earth, all we will have to take with us are those memories. So I say to you all, memories, make them, seek them, and enjoy them. Start today. Because those memories that start yesterday or the day after will always be there, but it's the moments that you experience today and then hit repeat tomorrow are what will get us through. So enjoy those moments, those memories, and the people you get to enjoy them with. Be great. I want to thank you all for joining today. 
and, and bearing with me through this tough conversation because it was a tough day and a tough week to be able to come to the mic, but I gain energy from you all, so please keep chiming in. As I promised last time, I would let you know if we reached our goal of 200 listeners, and we exceeded that goal. We had 278 listeners to date, which is so exciting to announce to all of you, all of our family out there that is listening. Keep listening in. Please tell a friend, subscribe and like and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcast. You can also follow me at D Hardy Jr. on Twitter or Made by One Change on IG. And as always, check us out on our website at madebychange.org. Next week, we continue our conversation around social inequities and how it lands where we live. We will look at housing and home insecurities and the environments in which we all reside and how it impacts the way that we live. Can't wait to have that conversation and learn a little bit more about the people that we live with and live around us and how we can make those spaces more equitable. And as always, thank you so very much for being a part of this conversation and keep coming back as we continue talking about the importance of our people understanding the inequities that exist and realizing that we need to do more to make sure that people aren't left out and taking actions to make sure that people are more than just penciled in. See you next week.